planted in the ground, penetrating with an egoic show of force. But witches know the secret truth that earth and spirit are our power source. Listeners, quick heads up before we get too deep into the episode. Please keep an eye out because next week we will be opening up registration for our 10-week course, which will be on, of course, the suit of wands. We will be taking a deep dive into each card in the suit of wands, practicing techniques of invocation, focusing our energy, accessing our vital and erotic powers, and working with literal wands as tools. It's going to be super sexy, super fun, super powerful, just like the wands are. So stay tuned for that. Also, a couple quick notes from me. If you've been wanting to grab a copy of my book, Initiated Memoir of a Witch, Amazon is holding a ridiculous sale right now of the Kindle version. Today only for $2.99, which is actually kind of criminal. (laughs) Let's be honest. But good for you guys if you're strapped for cash. There is a link in the show notes of my book, Literary Superstar Francesca Liablock says... Goddesses, ecstasies, fairy tales. Initiated is full of my favorite things. Told with savage grace, this book will change your life. So, a life change for $2.99. Also, I've got my full moon ceremony coming up next Wednesday, the 2nd, at 5 p.m. in honor of the full moon in Pisces. We'll be practicing lots of divination and intuition building techniques and talking about the astrology of the season. And these workshops are by donation. So check that out in the show notes as well, or follow me on Instagram at Oracle of LA. Hope to see you there. Listeners, I am so excited to have you here with us today. We will be talking about the nine of wands, which normally we think of as like that last final push before you accomplish a great work, right? It's you're exhausted, you're dragging, you're you're beaten and your battle sore and uh, you're trying to find a way to keep going. We have a very special guest to talk about this with you today, Leah Garza of Crystals of Altamira. I've known Leah for a long time, and I just so enjoy talking with her every time I do. Everything she says is just so rich and substantive, and I feel like it's going to add a lot to all of our understandings of this card and where we're at even culturally on a larger scale of these um, major projects of liberation and healing and growth that we are undergoing as a culture and as individuals as well. Leah is a veteran teacher and an activist whose healing practice is centered at the intersection of decoloniality, justice, and narrative rewrites in order to help clients and communities untangle trauma and integrate their innate and eternal power. She's also an Akashic Records practitioner who works with people to find transformation and radical beauty in the midst of all their trauma and limiting patterns. 
And she's going even further into this right now as a PhD candidate in community liberation, indigenous and ecophysiology at Pacifica Graduate Institute. She's also the co-host of the cute, critical, and metaphysical podcast, We Are Power Crystals, all of which we'll link to in the show notes so you can find out more about her. But without further ado, let's dive in. Leah, I'm just going to jump in here okay. at the deep ends, and yeah. we can just go from there, see yeah, how it goes. Um, we are so excited to have you on, especially because of all your social justice knowledge and your decolonial theory knowledge, and you're just one of my favorite people to listen to, so Stop I just it. needed to have you on here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we're looking at the nine of wands. Let's just start by describing the cards so that our listeners can remember in case they haven't seen it before. I can't remember. What do you see when you look at this card? Yeah, I have two cards. I have the one from the Rider Waite Coleman Smith deck, and I also have a Dachshund tarot deck. And they're surprisingly similar. I know. I got a gift. I got gifted a Dachshund. It's called the Lowrider Tarot. And um, I used to have a dachshund. Like a mm-hmm. like a wiener dog. A dog. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. I used to have a dachshund. So this one really like is actually easier for me to like resonate with um, because I just <laughs> know the personalities of these dogs so well. But yeah, I see like essentially a figure in the writer Wade Coleman Smith. It's a person. It's a man holding a wand and he's surrounded by wands that are upright behind him. And the same with the dachshund, he's standing, he has like his paw or she, uh, their paw on a wand, they. but really it looks like a stick, like they're going to fetch, you know, and then all these other sticks behind them standing up erect, like, like the first card. So they're very similar. So how is your dachshund similar to like the spirit the nine of wands like what is it about this doctrine that really makes you feel like this nails nine of wands yeah I mean so it's the look in this dog's eyes like dogs just they don't take a break for themselves they're ready to fight if you are like they're gonna go with you wherever you go they're not they're they they don't like unlike cats who are like I need to peace out and go take a minute for myself in the closet Dogs are like, no, wherever you go, I go. And this dog looks like he's been through it. He has like a Band-Aid on his nose, but he's still like ready to go. And he has like his paw on his stick. Like he what, like he looks tired, but like he's not giving up. And um, this dog is ride or die. Yeah. This is like a ride or die. On a dog. Yeah. This is a ride or die card. Yes. Yeah. And And it's funny because like dogs when you give them a stick or when you're playing fetch, it kind of like becomes their possession. Like the stick is theirs. And so to see this little guy with like all of his sticks that maybe he was playing with, like standing up behind him, like he's invoking their power other than for play. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's sweet and really speaks to like that. I don't know that like drive that dogs have to be like your companion forever, like through thick or thin no matter what the issue is. Yeah. I love this idea of the sticks, not just for play, like invoking yeah. the sticks, not just for play. They, they, these dogs, Dachshunds is serious business Yeah, with this stick and it is magic and truth and justice. And he's going to 
ride or die with it, carry on forward forever with you, his dearest love. Not going to let go of that thing, no matter what happens. Yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, looking at the Nine of Wands, uh, right away, Coleman Smith version, obviously the thing that strikes me the most about it, I think most people will feel this, is this dude has got a bandage on his head. Mm -hmm. He looks like he has really been through something. Like, he's looking kind of off screen, like, what next? He seems kind of harried. The wands themselves, though, are, as usual, they are definitely phallic looking. Like, these are some serious, you know, sexy wands. (laughs) And they're sprouting from the tip of them like shoots of green life. So it really feels like generative. It feels like there's really something being born here. But his expression is, is one of exhaustion yeah absolutely yeah and I think like the in the writer Wade Coleman Smith the image of the green to like really invoke this creative generative like creation of life kind of like emergent thing is like similar to like in the dachshund one like that the sticks represent play which is also like a generative force like to be playful to be creative is to create life. And so I feel like there's kind of like a, I don't know, a parallel there with the two. Well, I feel like you're really getting at the essence of the card, which I'm so excited to talk with you about and to share with everybody about is this idea of regeneration or finding strength when you're exhausted and kind of at the end of your rope and are like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, the idea with this card is you are in the closing stretch. You're kind of coming to the end of something, but it just feels like such a slog. And I love this idea then of having, you know, returning to play, like yeah. remembering that your stick is not just something that you beat your way forward with, <laughs> but that you can play fetch with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that play is versatile. It's not, I think like in our, in our society, in the paradigm of like modernism and colonialism, play is infantilized. It's made, it's weakened. It's made, it's feminized. It's not taken seriously as like an important like endeavor for creation or for sustenance or for balance. And to be able to see that play is versatile, that it can be kind of a weapon too, is like, so powerful it's really powerful well so I have two questions for you then about this just following up on this what first of all what is play I don't know like if there I have a good answer for that but I want to say that play is like using your body and your imagination outside of the bounds of like rigid social norms like to use spontaneity to invoke to invoke things that are oriented toward feeling good, feeling pleasure, and to not be punished for that. We punish play in our society. We punish, you know, pleasure in our society. It's like not a priority. And so we don't reap the benefits of the fruits of play. Even the phrase like necessity is the mother of invention, like that you only can invent when you're in that desperate place that you need something. 
um, rather than allowing like the imagination and, and like this orientation toward pleasure and feeling good to be the creator, the creative force. Yeah. How would you describe play? I love those descriptions. I mean, it just stirs up so much for me. It makes me feel really excited. I mean, I'm thinking about play like as a child, my play was, well, it didn't have a goal, right? When I would play with my friends, it would be an exploration without an agenda. And I love what you're saying about pleasure and the imagination. I just loved to be in other worlds and other realms and use my imagination. And it was really just about being close to my friends and creating a world with them. Mm. And it wasn't, yeah, exactly as you're saying, it wasn't about rules. I guess there's this idea of what work is, that we, we, we follow a specific structure in order to meet a specific goal. And that it doesn't have to be fun. It doesn't have to be pleasurable. It usually isn't. And then oftentimes, like even in my own work, like I'll, I'll feel like I really need to get something done. And if I feel playful about it, like if I feel like I'm reading or generating content that excites me and kind of following random leads, I often feel guilty and like I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing it like that. Yeah, it's so hard that, oh my gosh, yes. I did this fieldwork project last year where I thought that I was like exploring borders and, you know, I wanted to know about people that support the border, the U.S.-Mexican border. And I ended up going to Texas and I didn't really have a research methodology, but I knew I wanted to work with this organization called Angry Tias and Abuelas. And I got there and nothing went according to plan, but everything was like so intuitively, like my trip was just like intuitively led. It was, I wouldn't say like pleasurable in that it was joyful or like ex- fun, fun, but there was like pleasure there in that I could explore what I wanted to explore. And I came back and I just totally dismissed everything that had happened, even though I'd had these amazing awakenings because I have been so indoctrinated into like Western academia. I like totally did not see the fruits of my trip or what I had learned. And, and I, I mean, I really berated myself and like really dismissed my own scholarship. And um, one of my professors only recently, so like I spent this whole year just talking bad about my own work. And one of my professors was like, well, if you live in the colonial modernist paradigm, then maybe you had a bunch of experiences that were a cool road trip. But if you can operate from like an emergent, paradigm then you had a pilgrimage and you had Mm. a massive awakening and that couldn't have happened if I ignored the pleasure center as like a guide toward what I should be doing and then allow that to still be a valid form of research too exactly I mean and I and so I just really feel like this does get to what this card is about what you're saying is so important because we forget when we're, you know, you're getting a PhD. That's a major project, a major undertaking, very stressful, very long, very laborious. And we forget along the way why we're doing it, what inspires us about it, or we feel like we have to do our projects according to some very specific and strict rule that's been set up for us by people outside of, you know, our own internal knowing. Yeah. Like, 
I often, when I'm reading for work, if I'm enjoying it too much, I feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing, I, I shouldn't do this. I should only be doing the thing that is like the most miserable. I'm not working hard enough. So I feel like this card does really remind us to reconnect to the things that bring us joy, which brings up what is strength, because this card in the Thoth deck is known as strength. And I'm wondering about the relationship between the word strength and this picture that we see of this person kind of battered, bruised, you know, wearing a bandage around their head. And some of the things that we've already been talking about, this idea of of play, for instance. Yeah. So you know that I am an Akashic Records practitioner. For our listeners that don't know, could you describe what the Akashic Records are? Yes. The Akashic Records are the vibrational record of your soul from its inception. So everything that your soul has ever experienced, other lifetimes, we don't want to call them past lifetimes in the records because there's no time. So they're all happening concurrently. But other lifetimes, your experience in the womb, early childhood, I even get information from in between lifetimes. And we can even look at future potentials. Everything is is imprinted in this record. I feel like the records are most useful to find limiting beliefs, traumas, challenges, patterns, things that you're really stuck on. We can go into the records and we can kind of find out the information that you might need to shift them. So it's not a healing modality, but it is like a source of information that can assist you in doing your own work to to move things that are blocking you. Beautiful. Yeah. One of the things that the records like have really been talking to me about recently is this idea that trauma and joy are two sides of the same coin, that they live right next to each other. And that's not how we conceive of those things. We think that they're opposite ends of the spectrum. But when you think about the people or ourselves or generations that have had to experience intense trauma, there's just no way that the human body could survive without joy, pleasure, hope, those other states of being in the mix. Like there's just no way. We have to have somewhere in there something that can connect us to the reason why we're here to help us survive. And I think that that is the ability to bring in joy in the midst of deep, deep trauma and pain. That is strength to not just you know, crumple at the face of really intense, you know, horrific experiences. And um, it feels like they're all, instead of being like polarized, like, you know, states of being that strength and joy and trauma and hope and all, all of those things are enmeshed in the same goo, you know, the same experience. Yeah. Wow. You know what it made me think of last night? I was listening to the daily podcast about this guy who was a lobster fisherman and he fell off of his boat in the middle of the night and the boat drove off and his mate was sleeping. 
And he was out 40 miles in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of the night. And when you're speaking to this idea, I mean, that is so traumatic. What kept him going was this strength of like remembering his family, remembering his knowledge, remembering his knowledge base, um, connecting to his body, being able to like set little goals. For instance, he was he fell off, I think, at like 11 o'clock at night or or two in the morning or something like that. And he said, OK, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stay alive. I'm going to try and float until dawn. And, you know, so he'd set these little incremental goals. And so what you were speaking to, this idea of strength, you know, it it comes from our strength of spirit. It comes from the things that we love. It comes from all of our skills. But exactly like it's it's being able to access the joy in the midst of the difficulty. Totally, totally. And we live in a really rigid society that only allows strength to be portrayed in one way. And that's literally like hardness, toughness, you know, literal physical strength, like being able to pick up something heavy, being able to like go to war, the hyper-masculine. And that's unfortunate. That's really, really, really harming us because we don't allow other ways of being strong to be strong. Sometimes being soft is strength. Sometimes resting is strength. Sometimes playing is strength. Sometimes bound, you know, always boundaries are strength. But like, (laughs) it's really hard to see through our indoctrination in this colonial society to allow other ways of being strong, like bringing in play to exist. I think you nailed it there, that being able to see through our indoctrination is a form of strength. And maybe yeah. even the most important form of strength, because it's what allows us to live in specifically oppressed communities who have suffered through so much that allows them to live as, and to persist despite all the odds. Yeah. You know, weirdly, this card is associated with the moon in Sagittarius. So I'm trying to figure out how that too is related to strength. And when I think of the moon, I think of emotions, intuition, the unconscious, your environment, patterns. It's it's definitely like the feminine force of the astrological world mm-hmm. um, in addition to Venus. And then Sagittarius is this expansive, optimistic, exploring, justice-oriented, confident energy. And so I'm wondering what about the relationship between the moon, which is, you know, this unconscious feminine, imaginative, flowy force in this state of exuberance or expansiveness or like activity like Sagittarius is. Yeah. There's this song. I can't remember who it's by. I'll have to send it to you, but it's called Why I Love the Moon. And he literally says like, it's constant, unlike people. (laughs) And um, I don't want to offend anyone but I've never been a real moon person, like, you know, guided by the moon. But one of the things I observe about the moon that I feel like very humbled by is that the moon is like super vulnerable in that it's constantly, it's almost like it's dressing and undressing itself in front of us every single day. Like it's going through all of these phase changes in front of us. Like we can see, we just look up and see it going through like, like what we perceive as big changes or phase changes. 
And um, I mean, we even call them phases of the moon. Like the moon itself does not ever change. It just is positions itself in different places that makes it look like it's in different phases to us. Like it objectively doesn't become absent in certain parts or like full in certain parts. It's always full wherever, depending on where you're standing on the earth. But like we observe the phase changes. And so like that intentionality around changing to me, it that is creative forward energy. That's like so inspiring to me. Like it's constant. It's like change, you know, Adrian Marie Brown, Octavia Butler saying like, you know, change is God. Everything. Yeah. Change is God. Exactly. Like it's that's that's it. That's it. And being able to be in that, like to roll with totally. that, to stay with yeah. it, to to like ride it. And yes. also I love what you're saying about being able to be vulnerable in it. Like to be seen as you're changing. I love what you're saying about dressing and undressing and this idea that allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to be exposed, then hardening up again or like filling again and then releasing again. There is something very strong about that. Yes, but that's not the colonial picture of strong. We show one united front at all times. We are never vulnerable. You cannot see our weakness. You can't see vulnerability here. And that's not at all what the moon is about. The moon is like really showing the shifts of nature. Like, oh man, my mind is exploding right now. I just like, I'm obsessed right now with geology and like Mm. the extinctions, the periods of extinctions that have happened in our geological past on this earth and how you can see when massive changes happened in rock formations. Like you can see the line, you can see Mm. extinction happen. Literally, you can see time in the rock formations. Um, through so color striations. It's really crazy. It's I love it. Um, but it's written and, in the bones of the earth. Yes. The, the death of death and rebirth process. Yes. And, and but like that's the scariest thing possible to allow people to see if you're a modernist colonial person. For people to observe your change, like that is so humiliating and embarrassing. Like we we strive in our society to be like. Like you said at the beginning, like you're ride or die. That's like a commitment no matter what. What if the dachshund decides he doesn't want to like be here anymore? You're like, we're, we're so tied to this idea that we don't change. I am solid through and through. You cannot, I don't flip flop. I don't, you know. Well, we don't like that people's, because also when you're changing, you're going to fuck it up. Like you're going to yeah. do it wrong. Yeah. You're going to mess up. Yeah. You're going to fail sometimes. Yeah. And so this idea, yeah, of rigidity or like solidity, nothing ever changes about me. It's like this impenetrable, perfect force. Uh, yeah. And there is, but I think there is something really weak and brittle about that. The empire, right? Totally. It atrophies. Yes. And then it has to be, it has to fall. Well, there's a little thing that I wanted to touch on, but it's so exciting. So I was thinking about the moon in Sagittarius again, thinking about, because this card is represented by the moon in Sagittarius, or it corresponds to that, inspiration being Sagittarius and the unconscious being the moon and thinking, what does it mean to be inspired by the unconscious? And I think it goes back to what we were saying again about play, because For instance, children, when they're playing, 
are tapping into their unconscious. They're finding ways to express things that they maybe couldn't make sense of consciously, but are exploring and expanding and finding new roles, finding new identities, finding new ways of being in the world. So if this card is is inspired by the unconscious, what, do, what does that mean to you? The unconscious lives in the body. It, and, and we don't have necessarily like an intellectual access to, to the body. And we don't have like an, maybe an intellectual access to the unconscious even. But when I think of the unconscious, like Jung called it like the underground river, I think of that's where everything exists, like the astral plane, like it's all the positives and the negatives and every possibility exists, like the Akashic records too, like everything that is possible exists, whether they have been embodied and lived or whether they exist in imagination or, you know, just an idea or a, a thought form or whatever, that it's all there. And so like inspiration is necessarily in existence in the unconscious it's there it's waiting for inspiration is trying to inspire us as much as we're trying to be inspired by it by taking the bridge that is the path of play we can find those ideas that are kind of locked out from us when we only adhere to work and rigidity and order and you know social norms that are harmful and binaries like we miss that off-ramp toward inspiration, I think, often. You're getting at what I think is so important about this card, which is, you know, when you're undertaking something major, whether it's a marriage or a long-term relationship or a PhD or a book or any kind of major undertaking, that we have been conditioned to feel like the only way to complete it is to be a soldier, is to like soldier on through our discomfort and our misery. And what we seem to be landing on here is that when the nine of wands comes up for you, you're being called to return to the moon, return to play, return to the things that give you life because that's what's going to sustain you as you move forward. And it lives in our bodies. It's like right here in us. It's never it's never outside of us. Like the inspiration, the like the open path is like it's right inside of us. It's and and that's so hard to remember when we're like chasing something that we think will fulfill us. Like chasing the PhD, chasing the idyllic relationship, chasing the completion of the book. We think that it's somewhere out there and it never is. And it's always within us. Yeah. There's a deck called the Gilded Tarot. And in this deck, the Nine of Wands is a knight. In kneeling on the green earth, it's like a verdant, green, leafy, viney place, and bowing his head. And so last week we had Mara Freeman uh, on to talk about the ancestral magic of the ancient Celts. And so we got into this discussion about the Holy Grail and the legend of King Arthur and how the knights in the tarot are in pursuit of the Holy Grail, which is essentially the goddess the divine feminine, a reverence for nature, like a sacred mm-hmm. relationship to nature. And that this relationship represented by the grail will heal the wasteland, that heal the wounded land, heal our wounded bodies. 
And so for me, when I'm thinking of this knight, who is the warrior, right? He's the aggressive pursuer who does the violence of the king, essentially. But he's kneeling in reverence on the earth. And so for me, it speaks to this idea that our reverence for our resource, which is, you know, the source itself, which is the earth, the sacredness of the earth, that's what gets us through in our relationships, in our work, in our spiritual practices, in our life that, for instance, like if you're in a relationship and it's really hard going, returning to the source of like what you believe in about love or what is fun about love or, you know, with your work, if you're really dragging on and you're you're finding it so hard, going back to this idea of returning, returning to source. Yeah. When I was a teacher, I did a lot of like coaching with other teachers um, and professional development with other teachers. And that would always be, you know, like I'm like a young ish ish person coming into teaching and I have to like coach a person who's almost ready to retire, has been teaching for like 30 years and has developed some pretty harmful survival habits that students pay the price for. And like, that was always the question, like think back to like, what brought you here? Like what, what was the thing that brought you here? And it almost always was like, I want to help. I want to be of Mm. service. And to me, that is a direct connection to source. That is like, like that inspiration that I want to help and I'm going to do it through teaching again, because we live in the system that like, tries to own source, tries to own nature, separate us from nature. We don't have ways, at least in structures like teaching or social work or like therapy to like allow practitioners to constantly remember and be reminded of like that, that divine connection. And so that was like so simple, but so powerful. And I go back to that often, like, what was I trying to do here to begin with? What was the whole point of me? And then allowing myself because we, you know, going back to the phase changes of the moon and going back to like the regeneration of the greenery coming out of these wands that like, I can change course if that no longer aligns with me that like, I, if maybe I don't want to help anymore as a teacher, maybe I want to help in a different way. And I have permission to do that because God has changed. Nature has changed and I am nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that that word source and resource just stirs up so much for me. And I think that this card really is about resource, right? It's about connecting to your resources. But so often, I don't know, I feel kind of angry when I hear the term resource because I, I think of like natural resources and like I feel like that. Yeah, extraction. Like, this is our resource that we're going to mine and we have access to it and we can exploit it. And uh, we're going to manage our resources for further exploitation, you know, and that really bothers me. But what makes it more beautiful for me is to think about the idea of a resource as resourcing or, you know, source as being the fundamental mystery and beauty of nature of the planet of spirit like of humanity you know of what our essence is which as you were saying it's that underground river right it's that yeah. 
it's that unconscious place of play. It's that that beauty. It's the other world. It's the Summerlands. It's Tirnanog. You know, it's it's this place. And when we're resourcing, we're resourcing. We're going back to that source to always reconnect. And so that's why when you see this guy, you know, battle scarred and worn. If this is you in the reading. You're being called, like, go back to your sources. I love what you're saying about the teachers who, you know, have been teaching for 30 years and maybe have gotten into some bad habits or, you know, are not thinking about why they were originally doing it. But also by connecting, you can maybe decide you do want to change course. Totally. And so I was just this week, I was in Zion National Park. And good for you. I really want to go there. I've never been. I had never been either. And let me just say, I was shocked at how much of my knowledge of American, North American geology was shaped by Disneyland. Cause I got there and I was like, Whoa, this looks like big thunder mountain railroad. Um, But (laughs) I kind of was like, Oh, that's cute. Leah. You're so Southern California. But um, I just was like, you know, standing in the midst of these, this is why I got obsessed with like, the you know looking at the prehistory of the ancient history of the rocks standing in the midst of this like rock formation that is like billions of years old and that you can see the time on the rocks i'm like wow nature is abundance it's just that's mm-hmm. they're they're inextricable from each other like mm. it, it is a total i think it like the fabrication through modernism that like man I put quotes around man humans are separate from nature and therefore can own nature is such a harmful fallacy that like it has convinced us that like that we even are extracting resources like this planet will go on this planet is it it lives above and beyond the idea of resources what we're being forced to confront is our own inclinations through, through colonialism to just steal and take, to not be in relationship with these resources, to not be, to not see ourselves as a part of that flow of abundance that we think that we are our own individual beings, that we think we can own anything. And so like, I mean, I know I'm going off the, I'm going on tangent from the cards, but like, you know, even the idea of like climate crisis, it's like, we really are being presented with a humanity crisis here. And so like, if you look at like the Rider Waite, Coleman Smith, oh, both of these cards that I'm holding, this, the wands are like, yes, they're generate, they're generative, they're creating like life, but they're also like creating a home place. Like it looks like a structure of protection. It looks like a home to me. And that to me invokes like a relationship with nature that it's there. And maybe this guy who has the head wound is like warily looking on, doesn't observe or recognize his own relationship with nature, but it's there even outside of our knowledge of it. Like nature is the all really. But yeah, I, I feel like that's really important in this card too. Like this idea of like the structure of a home or a a fortress, a a protective like structure that has been created. Mm, Yeah. And trusting that, like trusting the, your relationship to this 
divine nourishing thing that you can't be taken away from it, but that it's an illusion that's created by like white supremacist patriarchal culture. But I think this segues really nicely into a discussion of, you know, we've talked a lot about the good things that Descartes is advocating for us when it comes up, right? Like it's really about connecting to source and, and staying with um, the things that give you pleasure and joy. Mm-hmm. But as far as like the problems that we need to look out for, one thing that came up for me was thinking about how when you have been really battle scarred, when you've worked really hard to get somewhere like those teachers, for instance, or, you know, you see this a lot in relationships or dating um, where, you know, you've dated a lot of people, they haven't worked out and it's easy to anticipate trouble where there might not be any and then get defensive. And in that anticipation, behave in a defended way so that like my therapist calls them um, distancing techniques to use these distancing techniques where you kind of subtly subconsciously put up a wall or put out a sharp object that whoever is trying to approach you in a relationship can feel right. Like, you might not realize that you're throwing up these distancing techniques. And so because you have been batter scorn or because you've been through trauma, we have a tendency when we've been traumatized to anticipate that trauma everywhere. And it can mean that we then behave defensively in a way that doesn't necessarily open us up to the thing that we want to invite in. Yes. When I look at the cards, one of the things I did notice in both of the cards I'm holding is that the wands create a wall behind the main figure. Like the main figure is still in the foreground. They seem to be the protagonist of each card, the leader of the card, that they're the main subject, the main character, which is still speaking to that maybe they're holding on to the idea that they know better. feel like there's so much application to the current anti-racist movement that we're living in right now. Well, when you're speaking to a lot of, you know, the the current uprisings, what I've seen and what so inspires me is that a lot of the Black and Indigenous people of color who seem to be emerging or groups that are emerging in leadership do speak about the idea that it isn't this binaristic dominating fight that is going to that is going to lead us to the promised land it's in fact for instance like adrian marie brown it's our pleasure it's our joy it's our connection to source it's our um in the case for instance of native americans like the indigenous practices that bring like joy and connection and community, those are the ways forward. And that it's not just about beating your way through. And that, you know, when this card comes up for you in a reading, it would be good for you to remember that you are close and you're you're moving towards a goal. And like, how do you want to do this? Do you want to use the tools of patriarchy to force your way through? You know, but that's how you got so battle scarred in the first place. Like, that's why you have that bandage on your head and that it might require and be scary to 
slow down. Yeah. Because you think, what if I slow down and this never happens? But that, you know, reconnection to source, reconnection to play, reconnection to pleasure, that's what ultimately gets us where we want to go. And I also was thinking, this is a nine. And so it's associated with the hermit card in the major arcana. The hermit is the elder, the wise elder of the tarot deck. And so all the nines are the wise elders of the suits. And so this wise elder, you know, one of the things that I love about elders is at least the ones, you know, not all elders are lovely, but the ones that are, Mm -hmm. the ones that aren't are the ones who are like atrophied and are stuck in the old ways, right? Right, But the ones that are seem to be able to not sweat the small stuff and, you know, one of the things that you might be with, you know, an elder and they'll be like, you'll ask them how they are and they'll tell you about the hummingbirds on their porch or this amazing cup of coffee or that someone came to visit them the day before and speak about it with such delight. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something when you're in midlife or when you're in early life, like you're just in such aggressive pursuit and so worried that you won't meet your goals. And something that elders yeah. often remind us is like, take pleasure in the moment, like, you know, be here for it because it goes by quickly. I see this card as being so much about trust. Again, going back to this idea of the nine, the hermit, the elder, mm-hmm. you know, the hermit really trusts themselves. It's about their own relationship to spirit. They don't need to go through the priest. They don't need to read the book. You know, they they have their own connection to, to spirit, which, you know, for me in my life in general, not necessarily just about spirit, but it's 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 hard for me to trust. It's hard for me to trust myself. I have to work really hard at it because I feel like my entire youth and childhood was like a project, a social project in teaching me how to not trust myself, not trust my body, not trust my intuition. So, you know, for me, this card is so much about learning to believe that things can be okay, that I'm not always waiting for the disaster to come or the shoe to drop or, you know, it's it's calling me to grow beyond my capacity for pleasure and joy, which has sometimes in my life been very limited because like I just have not been able to believe that it could be good and to, to trust that I'm capable of creating goodness for myself with my ex- with my experiences and my skills like you know I, I I'm grateful to be doing what I want to be doing in my life and I so often have to remind myself of that like that it's good like that things can be good that it doesn't have to that I don't always have to look for the trouble that I can that that what will lead me forward is looking for the things that are already beautiful yeah and when the trouble does show up, also trusting that the answers are there within you, that you don't have to chase them outside of you. It looks like the character in the card is set up the wands in this way, like that they erected them for themselves in this way. That's what it looks like to me, especially with the dachshund one. It does look like that. Yeah. And so like, that's a self-trusting response to maybe a hardship. I mean, they both have like, bandages on their heads like they clearly like are anticipating maybe more hardship but like it looks like they can trust that they can have the answers to themselves yeah exactly like they set up those wands the wands are a blooming they did that 
Like they can trust that. Even if more trouble comes their way, they know they got this. It's like they've seen it all. You know, they're the elder who's like, yeah, I've seen these, you know, like presidents come and go. I've seen like good times and bad times. And I know that I'm going to be able to find my way through this. And not only that, that I'm going to be able to take pleasure and joy in that. This card does speak to ancestry, you know, that your ancestors have gone through all sorts of challenges and yet here you are. Ancestors. Yeah. Everyone's, Everyone's ancestors. ancestors. Everyone's ancestors. It's funny when we do, you know, like a lot of people book a reading with me to talk about their Akashic records and they want to know about their past lives. And many, many people have past lives that are just like, I don't know, you were a farmer somewhere. And we talked to our teacher, Linda Howe, about this. And she's like, yeah, for a bulk the biggest portion of our history of as humans is pre-industrial revolution. So many of us have statistically are going to have many, you know, experiences in agriculture. And guess what that means? That you come from an experience of survival. Everybody survived in our ancestry. Like it's just, that's a, that's how they be. That's how we came to be alive. Mm. And I, I just like, I can't wrap my mind around that. And I didn't grow up with my ancestors being a big part of our experience in my family. Like that wasn't a big part of our family knowledge or practices or anything. So it's hard for me to conceive of like what a relationship with ancestors actually looks like, especially because yeah. Like what does that look like for another, a person in a culture where that's like an inherent part of the culture, then that feels maybe natural. And for me, it feels inorganic or unnatural to just like have an ancestry practice. And so one of the ways that the Akashic records has helped me to understand it is that like, they don't live outside of you. They live inside of you. They are the accumulation of experiences and traumas and memories and cellular memories. And, 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 and it's inside your body. It's like you are the current, yes, you're the current iteration of your ancestors. And so anytime that you do something out of, a desire for pleasure or desire to play you're doing something on behalf of them too, because they maybe were in a state of survival and couldn't spend the time playing or committing themselves to pleasure. Mm. And that really like puts in perspective, the guilt that you spoke of, of like, this is pleasurable. It shouldn't, this is not work. I shouldn't be doing this. Yes, we absolutely should be because it's not only for us, it's like on behalf of like so many generations of people that couldn't do that, that, that survived so that we could survive. It feels restrictive instead of expansive to simply stay in guilt because they couldn't do it. It feels healing and expansive to understand that our pleasure and our joy and our creativity and our generativity is in, is on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like it gives us a lot of permission to 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 change to 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 move more deeply into the pleasure and into the beauty, which I feel like is what so many of the Black and Indigenous people of color leaders are advocating for in order to heal our world. I also think it's really interesting what you were saying about you know, for most of our history you know, we were agrarian, we were connecting to the land. And so by connecting with our ancestors, we do connect with source because they were living on source. They were, they were inextricable from source. 
Um, for me, like the pop cultural references, I didn't really think of pop cultural references, but I thought of like references within our own lives. Like I thought of, for instance, or actually <laughs> Carolyn thought of your friend, Carolyn, our producer, your friend who's always so burdened, like who's always like, oh, I've got this and that and this <laughs> and that. And you're like, what are you doing in your life? And I have to say, sometimes that friend is me, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> me like complaining about all the things I have to do and the emails Same. I have to answer me too. yeah <laughs> um, me too and Carolyn also thought of um Mad Max Charlie's Thur- the one with Charlie Theron she said her friend wrote an article about it and how and he and she said in this article that like everyone is hurt by patriarchy like Fragile models are hurt by patriarchy. War war boys are hurt by patriarchy. Like older people are hurt by patriarchy. So I don't know why we were just thinking that this like relates to the nine of ones. It's like everybody is so assaulted and beleaguered in that um, in that movie. And also Charlize Theron is a real badass and really like she just keeps on going. So I approve of her. Yeah. And Mad Max, I, it's been a while since I've seen that, but like I was really struck by the elder women in that I movie. Love There's like a that. scene of them. That was like the first time right? in cinema like, we'd ever cinema we'd ever seen. That. Yes, like badass, like gray haired motorcycle riding crones. Like just it was just With so. Seeds. I think I cried. Yeah. Yes, I cried it too. Was I cried too. Yeah. For all of us that we haven't seen that before. I was like, where we need more of this. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah, that's really interesting. Take a peek. Seeds. These are from home. Heirlooms. The real thing. I plant one every chance I get. Where? So far, nothing's took. Earth's too sour. So many different kinds. Trees, flowers, fruit. Back then, everyone had their fill. Back then, there was no need to snap anybody. So last question of the day or last point of note. Um, If this card comes up in a reading, do you have any rituals or spells or actions that you could take to make the most of it? I know you've been talking about ancestors and things. I feel like you've kind of been weaving it in throughout. Yeah. Um, so if I were to pull this card in, my intuition is telling me to look at what are the blocks that I might have to accessing the inspiration. So what beliefs am I holding that I believe are maybe serving me, but really are limiting me? And like, how can I dig into them? How do they show up as fears? How do they show up as conflicts in my relationships? How do they show up like anywhere where I feel limited or burdened or drained looking at like the beliefs that are underneath that. And then, and then digging into how beliefs are created because your body believe limiting beliefs are created because your body believes that it will, it's protecting you Mm. from further harm by holding on to a limiting belief. So to me, that's like what my intuition says, although I would have to like probably see what the context of the reading is. But yeah, that's like what I, I think I would go to. I love that so much. And it's so interesting because it it is in such great um, syncope with, with the ritual that I have, which is actually not one that I created. I just recently, just today, I got this beautiful new tarot deck in the mail by Jer- Jericho Mandibur. 
the Neo Tarot, which is all about healing and self-care. And um, you can find a link to that in the show notes. But so it comes with this great book of ritual ideas. And so I was looking through it for the Nine of Wands. And this is what she had in there. And I think it's so great. So she says, find a crystal or special object you love, big or small, black kyanite or malachite are good. Light a candle and on a sheet of paper write, I release, followed by all the fear-based things you'd like to let go of. Put your healing object on the paper and meditate on your intention. When you're ready, burn the paper and put the ashes outside in the ground, asking that the earth transforms them into pure healing energy. So I feel like that goes along with what you were saying, those limiting beliefs, the things that you'd like to let go of, and that you could then, you know, write them out and burn them and and let the earth transform them, let, let them return to source so that you can draw from, from something new. Yeah. And that would be a good place to ask your ancestors for help, or at least support in that process. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Okay, cracked it, solved it, nailed it, nine of wands is solved. (laughs) So um, this has been such a great pleasure. I just love talking to you. I feel like it's just like being at the best dinner party ever where we could just go around with all the subjects. And it's so fascinating and interesting. And I love the way that your mind works. And I'm sure that our listeners will too. So if they want to follow you or find you or keep updated with all your happenings where should they go yeah you can find me on instagram at crystals of altamira you can go to my website crystalsofaltamira.com although who knows what's happening over there um and then i do all of my healing work through mostlyangelsla.com so you can book me a session with me um but i feel like my the guts oh you can sign up for my newsletter too through my instagram but um the guts of my work is probably on Instagram right now. Yeah. And also, I just want to let our readers know that you do you still have access to that list of uh, decolonial theory that like you created. A, oh, yeah. A, a bibliography. It's not decolonial theory. It's literally the readings from my PhD program. And I just compiled them in an open source Google document drive folder. So they're not super organized. So it's kind of hard. And I have to admit that they are academic journal articles for the most part. So if that's not your thing, it's probably not going to be a fun tool, but um, it's there. It's on my website and it's also in the link tree in my Instagram um, bio. And then I also have a podcast too called We Are Power Crystals with my co-host Jason Perez, who also is a healer and does really cool stuff. Yay. Yay. We can't wait to tune into that. Thank you so much, Leah. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I love chatting with you. And it was nice to just connect and yeah, have this conversation. Listeners, thank you so much for being with us today. We love to have you here. And if you learned something or there was something that came up for you that uh, that you want us to know about or anyone to know about, please do give us a shout out on social media. You can tag me at Oracle of LA. I love to hear what comes up for you as you listen. It's really one of my favorite things. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Your support really helps and delights us. And we are so grateful for you in any way you choose 
Also, don't forget to grab a copy of my book on Kindle via Amazon today only for $2.99 or just buy it full price whenever you like. Um, and sign up for the Full Moon Ceremony next Wednesday, September 2nd, and start getting excited about the Wands Workshops, which we'll be registering for next week. All the info for all the stuff will be in the show notes. And then tune in next week when we have special, special, special guest, Melanie Griffin, an artist and an herbalist who's going to walk us through some of the ways to use herbs to support us through life's challenges and how we can connect to the plant world as a way of utilizing that wand plant spirit energy that we've been talking about all season. So until then, we will see you between the worlds. Between the Worlds is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs with editing help from Jiha Lee. Our podcast icon is created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, links in the show notes, and our font is created by Leah Hayes. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please consider leaving us a sweet review and or posting your favorite parts. You can tag us at Oracle of LA or Between the Worlds podcast. Thank you. Turn your will towards your desire, fire guides you.